All right, so what we're talking about is we have uh, we're back. One, this is the Hit Factor podcast. Uh, we've got myself, Jeremy, Jared Fox is here, and our guest is Matt Hopkins. But well, now Matt's back on the screen, but his dog was uh, I don't know if he was molesting him or what the dog was doing, but he's wanting some attention. He climbed that up is, on wanting attention. That's not a small dog, Matt. It is not a small dog at all. He was like underweight when we weighed him last time, and he's 132 pounds. So he's probably 150, maybe more now. It's like six of my dogs. You don't have a dog. You have food. More than six. No, he's like 25 pounds. I don't believe that. All right, so we are all back fresh from Sherwin's last stand, uh, which... Uh, was a a cool looking match. Uh, unfortunately, people don't know. Uh, I did not get to shoot the match. It was my. I've never had that experience of like going to a match and like you shoot like two rounds and you DQ something like that. Like people do that, right? They DQ on the first stage, and I've never had that experience. But I I kind of felt like I had that experience. So uh, Jeff and I did not shoot the match. I picked Jeff up and rode in the car with him for six hours. And we shared a hotel in the lovely Roadway Inn uh, in Grand Island, Nebraska. Jeff picked Most it, Most high-class hotel in Grand Island, right? Oh, yeah. It's probably one of the best ones. How best much was it per Grand hour? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Jeff's, base, Jeff's stipulation for a hotel is it's got to be under 100 bucks a night. That's with after all the fees and everything. So he's got to find that. And when you're looking three days before you're booking it, it's you got slim pickings. So we picked Jeff up. I picked Jeff up. We sleep that night. Wake up at five thirty. We've got seven thirty o'clock, seven thirty a.m. start time. I wake up at five thirty and I like start getting up, about to dry fire. And Jeff's like, "Dude, last night was terrible." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Because I slept through everything. He's like, "Dude, I didn't sleep at all." He's like, "I just had this raging fever like the entire night." And I'm like, "Seriously?" I'm like, bro. He's like, yeah, I'm I'm serious. So I'm kind of just sitting there thinking like, okay, what am I going to do? Uh, I, I call my wife. She wasn't real happy because I woke her up. But she's like, yeah, you need to go get them some vitamins and some Tylenol and stuff. And I'm like, I probably need to not go to this match, right? And she's like, yeah, no, you can't go to that match. So we we made the decision then at like 6 30 it's like yeah jeff and i we just can't attend the match um, we didn't know what it was at that point it was just like with a bad fever and stuff and with the delta variant of covid that's going around it's like yeah we can't shoot it and it was a good thing we didn't he got tested later that day and we finally got the results at like one o'clock and he was covid positive so yeah, so then I was just like, well, great. Uh, I've got another night in a hotel with this guy, and I've got a we're in the same car, so I got to drive him back to his place. It's like, well, I guess I'm probably just gonna get COVID because that's just how this is gonna work. And so I went home and quarantined for seven days. And the only thing that we can come up with for this, like the results of this, is Jeff is weak. Jeff's weak. His body's weak. His mind's weak. And because I didn't get COVID. Uh, I, I had like the worst exposure I could possibly get and I'm fine. Uh, and he wasn't. So I guess he's just weak. What else can so you say? Kind of Oklahoma versus Texas a little bit there. 
I mean, I feel like maybe, you know, um, like we're just a little bit stronger and we can, we can handle stuff like that. And he can't. So he, Jeff wanted to, Jeff wanted me to tell everybody that he handled it all. Like, like he was like super tough and no complaining, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that that's the case. Jeff is okay though. Right. I, I yes. Yeah. I talked to him on Saturday. He was staying at his old house with his raccoons. <laughs> he was doing fine. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we were trying to figure out when we got back. Well, Jeff's lucky in that, if you guys remember, he bought a new house. He had not sold his old house. So his old house still had electricity to it, and there was a bed in it, and I think a refrigerator. Otherwise, I think it was completely empty. So he just went and stayed in his old house. At one point... I was like, hey, what are you doing? Because he didn't have like a TV, computer. Like, I don't even think he had a computer. There's no internet there, so he couldn't really use a computer. It's like, what have you been doing? He's like, oh, you know, just like meditating and sitting out in the sun. Because he likes to, like Jeff's, like he, like one of his favorite pastimes is to just sit outside in the sun. Like just sit there and absorb and soak up rays. So that's what he did for like a week, it sounds like. And Yes, he is. Uh, he's lost all sense of taste and smell, but he's he's back to feeling normal. And I think he's actually he's going to go back home on Tuesday. Of well, he will have been by the time this airs, he will have gone back home because he's other than taste and smell, his symptoms are gone. He's really weak; like he he gets tired real fast. Um, but I think he's already started dry firing again, so he's 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 kind of back on doing that. So Jeff's fine. He's He's, uh, we're probably not gonna be able to get rid of him this time. We got to keep him around a little bit longer. I mean, you tried pretty hard. You like, you infected him and drive up, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. I had this tiny, tiny little syringe that he didn't know about. And like, I just kind of, you know, it was, it was an infected needle and I jabbed him with it. Oh, oh, that is, that is actually funny. So Jared, we were talking about like, if I had a seat heater, like if I should turn it on on the way up. And maybe this should have been my clue that he had COVID because at one point it was like a hundred degrees. It was burning up outside and he was complaining that the air condition was too hot. Well, I turned the seat heater on and didn't tell him and he did not have his AC on at all on his side. And he sat, he rode with it for like an hour. And I was like, dude, aren't you hot and sweating? He's like, he's like, I mean, I thought it was a little warm, but I, it felt kind of good. So I was like, I was fine with it. I was like, oh my gosh. You had a seat heater on for an hour and he didn't know. Yeah. And he did not know it. That probably should have told me he, he had COVID at that point. In fairness, if people aren't used to seat heaters, which I don't think Jeff Stark has, no, no they, they don't. They just think the seats are hot. Yeah, I did that to Henning whenever he was up here for Free State. We went and shot shotguns on Sunday, and it was hot and humid. And he took the front seat and made Bailey sit in the back. So I turned the seat wherever I was getting in. We drove all the way back to my house so about forty minutes before he's like. The seat's hot. <laughs> wow. And and it Henning's takes a, a while. One. I'm not used to it either. I've I've had that trick pulled on me enough that I I recognize it pretty quick. So yeah, so that's how my match went. I was I was honestly like pretty disappointed not to get to shoot the match. Like there were some stages that I was looking forward to shooting, uh like the car stage, like so I didn't get to shoot that. The stage 1 which had like the 50-yard mini poppers like I was scared of those mini poppers, but it's like, well, I kind of want to try and see if I can hit them on the clock. That'll be, I'll just see if I can do it. Uh, so didn't get to shoot that stuff. Um, 
But you guys did get to shoot the match. So I neglected to announce that we are hosting our, well, we have two Area 3 champions at this point because we have one Area 3 champion director. That's uh, true, yes. Hopkins was announced. Was it at Area 3? No, it was the day after. But the voting was open till the last day of the area ma- area three match, and oh, they wow. let us know basically the next morning, and the results were in. Wow! So results. Yeah, it was in. fast. That's crazy. I'm surprised they were that quick. Uh, I was actually super surprised, also. But yeah. I guess they were on top of everything and had had it all ready and sent it out right away the next day. So. Yeah, so, I will be the Area 3 director starting January 1st. Awesome. So that, and that's a four-year? Yeah, that's a four-year term. Yep. Okay. Cool. So Hopkins is the new Area 3 director, so that's is good. It, is it a term or a sentence? I mean, you it's a, it's like shooter's choice or director's choice, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. You make your own fun. <laughs> I'm sure that's a good way to look at it. Fun. Yeah, uh, it's fun. It actually I think it could be kind of cool to be area. It could be kind of cool to be area director. Like get to run the match, like run a match like how you want an area match to be run. Yeah. Uh could be cool. Yeah. I mean, that's ba- that's probably the biggest thing that you you are responsible for is making sure the area match happens. Now, yeah. you can fully do it start to finish match director all that do all the setup and like coordinate all that stuff. Or you could do it as far hands off as some area directors do where they literally outsource it to a club and the club handles everything. And basically they just turn in like, just like the stamp of approval for it, I guess. So. All right. Well, since we're here, we were going to talk about this later, but we can talk about now. So, so Hopkins is in charge of, well, okay, before I do that, uh, Sasquatch won production for Area 3, and he's a member of Area 3, so he's Area 3 champ. Uh, way to go, Sasquatch. Thank you. Congratulations. Jeff wasn't there because he was dying. Just uh, Not dying, weak. Oh, yeah, true. He was just weak. So that's a legit win. Like, you weren't weak, and he was. Like, that That seems like a pretty legitimate win to me. So now, with that aside, since we're talking about future Area 3, I think Area 3 has gotten a lot of flack over the years, and they have probably earned quite a bit of that flack. But I will say this about Area 3. You knew what you were getting when you signed up for Area 3. Every year it was going to be in Grand Island, Nebraska. It was going to be the first weekend of August, and it was going to be all open paper. They were going to be disappearing targets that weren't disappearing because they had stupid boxes somewhere. Uh, There's going to be some really long running and far shooting on Bay one. Like you just like, like there were just things you knew about area three going into it. And I think that's somewhat of a positive for a match, but they also had a lot of carnival stuff and they did a lot of stupid stuff like pendulum, no shoots with pendulum targets behind it and other kind of maybe questionable safety stuff that they've done. And like there's all 30, every stage is 32 rounds. Like they kind of do some crazy stuff. So now Matt is in charge of that match. So are you going to MD it and run it from the get-go, or are you going to source it out? Right now, I'm still determining how that's going to look. 
Okay. And I think it's going to be in one of three places now, uh, depending okay. on, I'd say by the time nationals happens this year, I should have a really good idea what we're going to do and dates announced and stuff like that. So I think middle of October and end of October, maybe a little before that, we'll know exactly where it'll be, when it'll be and everything like that. Cool. So what, like, I'm not familiar with area three. What all states are in Area 3? Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, South Dakota, and North Dakota. So it goes pretty far north. Yeah. So how many ranges in Area 3 are capable of hosting that map? So I've actually figured that out. So Forest Lake Sportsman's Club in Minnesota can host an area match. we got Grand Island can. They have enough bays, enough like equipment. Yeah. Uh, Eastern Nebraska and Omaha could host it. Okay. I believe Rolla, Missouri could host it also where they have the fall classic and then Mill Creek rifle club also our home range here. That's could host it. So I think there's five ranges that could host it. Okay, cool. I mean, that's awesome to have like that at least that many ranges at least that could host the match. Yeah. I'm, I, it's probably down. Omaha doesn't want to host it from what I can okay. tell, or I've asked them. Uh, Rolla, I haven't even talked to them. Forest Lake is interested. Grand Island wants to have it back there. And if obviously Mill Creek, it would also be available just because it's local here. And I could do all the stuff with it for setup and everything and yeah. do all the prep for it. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, I mean, Mill Creek somewhat makes sense because it's local to you. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes sense. I mean, Grand Island makes a lot of sense, too, because it's the home of Hornady. And obviously, Hornady has been a massive supporter of the Area 3 match for as long as I've shot it. It probably has a pretty good economic impact for Grand Island, too, because it's not exactly a huge city. No. And you get a couple hundred competitors coming in and eating for three days or whatever in hotels. It's They probably would notice if it wasn't there. Yeah, they would. So... Hornady's contacted me. They they actually said they've hosted that match 12 years in a row now. Wow. Yeah. So, and they are interested in having it back there. I mean, we can talk about the flavor of the current match and the years past and what it would look like if I was going to run it like there. So like it might be on the range, but it's not going to be the same match. Okay. So, okay. So yeah, we've talked kind of locations and possible locations. So yeah. What would you like for an area match to look like now that you get to run one so i would take out i guess i could let's say the non-shooting challenges right Mm -hmm. i mean we all know about the history like the the pool noodles or the the monster truck tires that they had that you had to basically like you couldn't just stay on the outside of them you had to be inside them which was yeah they like doubled down on that so yeah i mean they and then they have the prone platform that they brought back for the second year in a row or third year in a row, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, all that kind of stuff, I would have a lot less of that. It would be more of a shooting match, not a, I guess, quote, carnival match, right? Yeah. Uh, I have a, I have one big question. Are you still going to have a car stage? I'm going to. So if it is in Grand Island, I plan on having little things in there that would remind you of the past matches. I want to point out something. You you mentioned the the prone thing. Like the way the, the prone thing was the prone um 
uh, I guess, what would you call it? Uh, prone prop or whatever we had multiple prone positions on it yeah so let's I, explain that for the let's explain that for the listeners there was a basically a platform that's what four feet off the ground or maybe three two, feet off the ground two or three two or three feet off the ground like and then there's i think okay three feet off the ground and then there's basically a port that's right on that deck so it forces you to go prone on the deck but you're not going prone on the ground so in that respect it's better than having to go prone on the ground the platform's also probably only three or four feet deep also, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Not, that. That's the big thing. So it's three foot off the ground and three foot deep. So you literally have to like lay long ways on it or your bot, some portion of your body is going to be hanging off. Yeah. And you have to hold it up because off of the platform on the ground is in the past was out of the shooting area. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, I'll point out, unlike that, it, uh, it by itself in a match wouldn't really bother me too much. Yeah, it's a little gimmicky, but it's not that big a deal. When you mix it with everything else, like that's one of the most tame stages it was at Area Three, which True. is less than ideal because low ports are not really great for someone my size. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so I assume you are you going to keep in the uh, the disappearing targets that aren't because there's a box forty no, yards away. I don't away? think that'll stay in. Oh darn. Every shooter is so sad about that. That's what's funny about Area 3. Like, they had a lot of stages that could have been really cool, but they made them not cool because they weren't disappearing because they put those boxes to the side. Like, it's like you could keep almost a lot of the exact same stages and let those targets be disappearing, and they're cooler. You didn't get to shoot this stage. Did you see videos after the fact or see how that was kind of... There's kind of like two ways to shoot that stage, right? So you, I think you're talking about the like the it had like three or four drop turners on it, five drop turners and five activators on it. Okay, yeah, I I I didn't actually even walk that stage because it was would have been my second day, so I didn't I didn't even walk it, but I saw plenty of videos of it. Yeah, so making them non disappearing, one of the probably the majority of the plans that people use was literally just activated the activators, then ran down and shot them when they were all static, right? Yeah. I'd say a majority of the people shot that that plan. The shots weren't super easy. They were still angled drop turners like when they were when they were finished moving. So it wasn't just cakewalk. People were still having penalties and off non-alpha hits on it. So it wasn't just yeah. super easy to do that. But by the time we shot it on the last day, there was a plan figured out where you could just go to one box, shoot all the steel. And like all the turners would activate in a sequence that was at least realistic to shoot while they yeah. were still moving instead of just like before that plan got figured out, everybody is like, Oh, I'll just shoot them and run and go down there. Cause it's the safest way to do it. Right. Yeah. There was what I figured probably about a four seconds difference in the stage. Like wow. if you shot the drop turners or if you ran down. Yeah. And there was, there was literally zero way of figuring that out without having a bunch of shooters going through it. Like you couldn't, right. you couldn't in the walkthrough figure that out. Oh no, no way. Yeah. Or even, even the day ahead of time, because you can't activate the stuff. Right. No, there, there was no way there was someone that had to like sit on there and watch several squads run through it to figure out that plan. I, I think that's the only way they had it figured out. Yeah. I, I figured it out by figuring out what steel activates what, so I knew what three uh, three steel to shoot from the first box and what ones were going to activate in what sequence. And 
it worked out, but it was still like high cap definitely made it a lot different because you were shooting all 15 rounds from one box. So, yeah, I don't know how that stage passed legality. Like there's a, there's a rule that calls out, you can't shoot all targets from one position and you could shoot all targets from one position on that. So I don't know how that one got past DNROI, but it did. Yeah, but that happens pretty often. I mean, like, it's pretty often that you go look at stages and you're like, how is this legal? Yeah, but an area match, though? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you see it in nationals. It's like, uh, is this legal? (laughs) (laughs) It's usually pretty legal, though. So Since since we were kind of not liking that stage, the was the next stage after that had the uh, dummy you had to run down and drop on the... Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't think that was that bad of a stage. I mean, yes, it, it wasn't is. that bad a stage, but, like, it was... It goes to the flavor of the match, right? Like, there's always something to take away from the shooting portion of it. Like, you grab this dummy and you, like, ran down and activated a swinger, a couple swingers with it. Yeah. And, like, yeah. you had, like, the first thing you had to do before you shot you had to pick up the dummy like it couldn't stay in that spot but if you ran down with the dummy and activated the targets like the swingers like then you wouldn't have to mess with the dummy so they just added a bunch of time to the start of the stage yeah so i i will describe that as like if that stage was in a normal match on its own i wouldn't think twice about like something non-shooting to try to distract you but let's mix it with everything else it, it adds to the flavor of the match that I don't think many of us like. So I'm trying to think like if there was any stages where there wasn't something like that, maybe stage 12, right. Would be the only one stage before chrono. Yeah. I think that was the only one that didn't have anything. So an example was like, they started you in inside the shooting area on the all steel stage. Like, right. So you're thinking that's a normal stage, right? Everything. Nope. You got to start unloaded. So you had to like, you couldn't just draw out and shoot steel. You like had to do like, you had to load your gun. That's fine. That's a skill. Understand that. But it it was just compounding, right? So it's like every single stage had something. Yeah. Like the all memory stage. And we're not. Uh, That's and we'll, one we'll per get, also. Yeah. So that the memory stage was, is kind of, hopefully you, hopefully you won't follow in these footsteps. The memory stage was 32 targets, one shot each. And to start, your gun was on a barrel and all your mags were in like a little bag. So like you saw like Jacob Hetherington, he shot single stack major. Dude, he sat there and had to stow like five mags on his belt. And it's like, okay, clearly a PCC shooter thought of this stage because they could just throw one mag in the gun and then they're good. But I mean, yeah, like just sitting there having to stow mags on the clock. Nobody wants that. So hopefully you won't do that in the future. And we're... Worst thing is on something like that, like if you want them to load off the barrel, all you do is you put like four more barrels out on the stage where it makes yeah. sense to grab max off the Or the, the barrel could have been downrange, so you would have only had to like load after you're going past it. Like, yeah, the barrel was behind the stage, so it made it. I, I don't know if anybody even tried to attempt to like grab a mag out of there while they were in the stage after they had started. Like, it would be almost impossible. Yeah, I'm sure somebody did, but it didn't. It would. It didn't make sense to do right. It. it would just add time and risk. Yeah. So okay. So Hopkins is running the match next year. So Area Three is going to have less nonsensical, non-shooting stuff. Um, yes. Yep. 
Okay. So that's like, that's, I mean, I think that's good. I think everybody's going to going to appreciate that. Um, so what is like 32, basically every single stage, 32 rounds. You're gonna, that's what you're they gonna, had there. That's what they had this year. That's, that's the standard that's, that's format they, they have now. Yeah. That's how they've always had it. So is that, you think you're going to maintain that tradition? I don't think 32 makes the stage, right? Like you could do a fine match with no 32 round stages. Like I don't even think nationals like low cap had that this year. Uh, several other matches didn't even have 32 round stages that I've been to that have been great. So I don't think that's a rec- like a requirement to make a good stage. Like if I threw it back to like, just like an O to old area three matches and I put one in there, like, th- like not saying I'm going to do that or whatever, but like maybe, maybe you do that or maybe you like put a tractor tire off in the distance. That's not actually part of the stage, but it's like yeah. on the base so you could see it or something like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you never know. Something so like you, that could happen. Do you think you will kind of follow like a one, 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 like one short, one medium, one long? Like you think you'll go like, you I think like you'll that. Plan a match I like that? that idea of it. Yeah. I think, I think that'd be mm-hmm. good. I think you should do a two, two, two. Same as one, one, one. In, in Sasquatch map, it's different. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean that that all sounds to me that that sounds good. Uh, so they have twelve big bays to work with at Grand Island. Like, I think you could easily yeah. make a fourteen or sixteen stage match out of that very easily, or fifteen stage. If we do yeah. one, 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 would make the most sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think and the they got a ton of they got a ton of props and walls and everything. So they like do. they have a they have all the equipment there to do it. Yeah, it's it's a great. I mean, it's a really nice range. Uh, I mean, it's it's a fantastic range. I, I mean, I think the trick when you start getting in those those short and medium courses is how do you how do you put them in a match and keep the match flow consistent where you don't end up backups in a stage and stuff like that. But I think Matt's been Matt's got as much experience as almost anybody in the sport. He can probably he's probably seen where that works and where it doesn't. Uh, I've seen it. I'm not saying I'm the best at her. I haven't messed it up this year. Right. Uh, free state had yeah. a pretty big backup and, uh, I think I got a Were better plan for that for next that? time. Yeah, I was, I took, I take oh. full responsibility for that. So Uh-oh. my fault. I okay, got a plan so for that next time. So, uh, hopefully that won't happen. I mean, I think that's a decent thing to discuss a little bit. Like, so kind of what caused the backup and how do you think you can fix it? Well, the backup came from one like one one run, one stage into a double bay, right? The backup yeah. like they were basically a full squad behind. Yeah. The double bay was? Yeah, the double bay was. Yeah. So one of the stages was like one shot per target and like single hand shooting. Mm-hmm. Hold on. So Matt is right now is either correcting a dog or there's somebody trying to rob him we don't know there's somebody off camera so it's a chicken that the dog is chewing on that crinkles so he's super loud oh i at first i thought it was like a live chicken that he like you had like blood splatter going on oh no no that'd be actually fun to watch (laughs) (laughs) not that not the crinkly chicken so he's got some new toys so he's good now so uh Trying to add activating targets and like single hand shooting into a double bay doesn't make sense. It does make sense on paper if you think about it like the 
the harder reset stages should be there. Like activating targets should be on the littler bay, but they have to be in a bay by themselves if you do that. So I would change it up. I would make it where there's probably two short stages, but it's normal stages. They're just short. Yeah. Uh, I've been trying to work and figure out a way to get a single hand only shooting stage into the current rule set. And it is basically impossible to do it right now or the way the rules are interpreted with the current uh, RMs and everything, there's no way to do it in the current rule set. So, Yeah, so what Matt is talking about, I believe, is in the current rules for USPSA, single-handed shooting can't be more than, what, eight rounds, and you can't have movement, right? Well, it depends. So you can't require them on a Comstock stage to shoot single-hand only. Okay. Like it has to be a Virginia count or a fixed time. Yeah. And then there are certain rules like you can't have more than eight shots and then a reload and single hand shooting or something. So it, it kind of compounds. Like I can't just say like pick the gun up, shoot weekend only on these eight shots. Yeah. Like there's no way to do that within the current rule set. Yeah. Like Ipsic Nationals a couple years ago, we had a 20 round weekend only stage. So like we had to figure out, okay, am I going to reload the gun? single stack am i going to reload the gun like with my weekend like keep the gun or am i going to transfer the gun back like it was an interesting shooting challenge and then like actually sh- running around and shooting weekend only was was a very interesting challenge because we normally just stand there and shoot three targets and that's it that's all we're asking. i mean that's that's probably the biggest stage design difference between ipsic and uspsa is they can mandate that single hand shooting mm-hmm. and it's usually always on a short course but it's always more than eight rounds it's usually up to 12 or 10 or something and it's usually always has some element of a normal like comstock field course stage in it where you have to move around or you have to like shoot two different positions on it at yeah. single hand shooting so yeah and area three's actually been one of the better matches in the past of creatively forcing some one-handed shooting like so a couple years ago they had like you had to carry that rifle around and go around and activate stuff and you kind of had the option to, you could either run around, activate everything, and shoot it all, all freestyle, or you could shoot some stuff stronghand. And it ended up making sense to shoot some stuff stronghand. But you have to, unfortunately, with USPSA's rules, you have to do it that way. You have to have some sort of prop, some sort of gimmick to force them into that. Yeah, this year they had this these ports you had to open up with the ropes, right? Okay, so that was yeah. super interesting because... Even the PCCs had to do it. So the PCCs were forced to shoot with one hand on the gun and like hold a rope open in a port. So that was very interesting. I don't think that challenge has been done at a match before. So I thought that was very interesting, like how they made them Uh, do that. Area 3 has done that before. With PCC though? Well, PCC wasn't a thing. PCC wasn't a thing then. But they've done the thing where basically the only way to shoot something is grab a hold of a rope and lean way around a wall and shoot one-handed. They've done that before, but not that was that's one stuff. of the staples that they have there usually. Yeah. Well, cool. So I mean, all that sounds good. Um, what about time frame of the match? Are you going to try to keep that, maintain that August? I don't off? like it because the weather can be so hit or miss, right? It can be a hundred degrees or it can be down in the sixties, right? Like we saw it this year's like during setup and the RO like staff shoot, 
it was a hundred plus degrees during that. And then when like the competitors came out on Saturday and Sunday, it was like a low of 60 and a high of yeah. 80. So like the weather was super nice for the competitors, but like the ROs and setup crew like suffered. Like it was really yeah. bad. Like yeah, I was practicing miserable. that week and it was, it was a hundred, it was, it was a hundred degrees during practice. I'm like, they're out there setting up and shooting like all day, shooting 14 stages in one day. Like, that would be miserable in a hundred degree weather. Yeah, for sure. So, so then later in the year. Yeah, I I would actually prefer if it was like into September, honestly. Okay. Uh, I know we'll have to work around some existing matches. Next yeah, year so- we'll have Pan American and the Ipsic Nationals in September, also. So, next year could get real real bunched up again. I'd want to avoid that. Yeah, so I mean, as far as area matches, is there? I mean, I I guess I can't really answer. I think I know the answer, but is there any sort of communication between area directors? Hey, this is when we're going to have our match, so that y'all aren't in conflict. I mean, well, I know I'm not had- actively talking to the other area directors as part of the board, but as far as I know, there is nothing like that. Oh wow! And I think that's a like a misstep for USPSA. Like the area matches should be almost as big a deal to USPSA as the nationals. Yeah, I know they won't be because it's just not. But it's basically, I think it's it's the it's the stepping stone right before nationals, right? So if someone yeah. goes out, they shoot their local match, they come out, and then they're like, "Oh, I like this." So then they come out and shoot every monthly match, and then they're like, "Oh, I like this. I want to step up." And they're going to shoot their state match or something level two closer. Correct. And then they hear about these area matches, and then they they're like, "Oh, I'll go to that after I shoot a couple state matches," and then they're like shot area match like next step is nationals right yeah yeah so that's not the the common order for it to progress for everybody but i think that's a pretty common way for people to do it mm-hmm. so i think like in years past we've had area matches where they overlap i don't think that makes any sense like that's such it's it's just communication between the area directors right yeah like, I don't think that should be that much to ask. Like, you just have to be like, oh, well, I'm planning on this weekend or like the range that's going to do it is only available this weekend. Like, do you have another weekend like you could do it or work around that like that? Like the nationals and then the area matches should be the biggest, like biggest things and they shouldn't overlap anything. Yeah. Like, and if there's a state match, like. If Area 6 had their area match in this weekend, but there was a Washington State match in the same weekend, like it's going to pull different people, right? Sure. Yeah. For the most yeah, part. And- yeah, there would be some people that would shoot both if they could, but that's maybe a handful of people. So you can't like really plan around that. But I wouldn't right. have like Area 3 and Area 4 the same weekend. That That's going to pull a bunch of the same people. Yeah. And that's that's happened multiple times in the past. Yeah, yeah, it has. I mean, you bring up an interesting point. I think most people see area area matches basically as just another level two. You go to them like there's no, they don't feel any different than a normal level two. They're basically run the same way. But the truth is, they are a level three, and nationals is a level four. So, what do you think can be made to make it feel like a more than a level two? Like it's like it's this just under a nationals type event. What do you some what standardization do you like nationals has a certain number of stages, right? That's okay. common to a nationals, right? Yeah. 
they have stages that get turned in the same amount of order. There's not super crazy, like 45 yard mini poppers or, and like this as an example, like, yeah, I think you could institute something where it's like a mini nationals. Yeah. It's like the area specific national level event. And that's something I would want to look forward to. I think I start that with the area match that I'm doing first. Sure. And then hopefully it kind of trickles down and you get some buy-in from the other area directors that would like to see that and see like the sport progress. I'm not saying this is going to happen overnight and I would do it when I run the area match first. So hopefully they see that and see how it would work and then work around that. So So professionally staffed, professionally ran like nationals should be and everything like that. Uh, It should be a nationals that everybody in the region can go to. Yeah. So stages and then staffing and I, and staffing will be like, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, we're going to staff it like, like nationals is that may be harder to do. I I, I imagine getting staff is going to be tough. Sure. I'm sure that's probably the biggest hurdle, like getting staff or getting helpers for setup and everything like that just depends on when it is and everything. So. So would you consider increasing like the entry fee to be able to give bigger staff prizes or even up the competitor's prize table? So I would actually look at that when I'm trying to do the event and I'm going to work out like a spreadsheet and get a budget and everything and, yeah, and work that out. Cause obviously you have to pay for hotels for staff and give them some incentive to do it besides just the match. Sure. Like that only works to a certain point for a certain number of staff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what was the, what was the match fee this year? I don't remember. 160. Uh, I think it was 170. 170. And then area two, I think is, is up around 285. That's more than nationals. Same, same price. That's the same price. Oh, na- the nationals go up to 285 this year. Um, so that's, I mean, like that's a, you no, area got that. two was 325. Whoa, area two was $325 and they, and they filled, they didn't fill as fast this year, but they, they are full at, at, full, at this yeah. point. I There's a wait full. list. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those deals. It's like, okay, does area two just get that? Cause they've got so many local shooters and they've got, I mean, area two, other than nationals, area two is probably the most famous match in our sport. Yeah, for sure. Everybody um, knows about it or hears about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's probably cause it's in Phoenix, which is kind of the Mecca. Um, so, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, you, obviously you kind of see that it's like, okay, dang it, 300, 300 bucks a shooter. You could really turn the match into something. Um, but you may not be able to get, you may not be able to fill a match in Grand Island, Nebraska or Minnesota or Kansas city at 300 bucks a shooter. I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you provide. Right. And I think sure. doing that the first year is going to be hard to fill it. Yeah. But then once you provide that to the shooters, like word gets around that the match is worth this, like this is what they do good and everything. And like, they're taking the feedback that I'm sure not everything's going to go perfect. Right. Yeah. Like take the uh-huh. feedback and learn and improve on it next time. Right. I mean, obviously I don't think you're planning to jump like straight to like three twenty five or something, but in, in the, in the grand scheme of things, if the, if the match fee is $50 difference, like in the grand scheme of things, $50 is not much when you're talking about the overall cost of your shooting area match. Long as there's long as there's value there for your dollar, I don't think anyone's going to care about fifty bucks. Well, I well, I don't, I don't think you're I don't think you're right there. I think there'll be lots of people that complain if you 
if you raise it 20 bucks. So like we're not the hit factor podcast is not telling everybody that Matt is going to increase the price of area three by 30% next year. Um, so we're not, we're not making that claim, but I, I do think Jared does make a valid point. When you talk about traveling for an area match, like, and you've got hotel expenses, food expenses, travel expenses, if it's if it's fifty dollars more, if it's six, even if it's almost a hundred dollars more, like that ends up being, it's not insignificant, but it's that's not uh, prohibitive um, for being able to shoot the match. And and I think to me, if if Hopkins runs the match and the stages are as good as I expect they are, and the matches run as professionally as I expect it to be, and then honestly, uh, that much better of a prize, I would kind of expect a better prize table with the with the higher entry fee like that, like at that point, then I have absolutely zero problem paying more money for a good match like that. So match fee is 170 this year. Okay. 170. Which that's a, that's higher than most level twos, but that, but not that much really. I mean, that's kind of so in it's line. higher than a level two, which is a state match, right? Like right. that's, it's a higher level. So I would expect a higher entry fee for it. Yeah. Like, it, like, if you raise it to two hundred dollars, I'd be like, <laughs> "You see this?" Yes. Sorry, sorry, Matt's dog, which is probably almost as tall as Matt, is over Matt's shoulder. Just he's trying to get some loving from Matt, and, and Matt's being a, a selfish it's lover his, right now. It's his house horse. Yeah, it's a house. That's exactly right. Um, so, but I mean, yeah, like a two hundred dollars for an area match, I wouldn't bat an eye at that. Um, Actually, one thing I'm gonna do, like, I like. I'm gonna make a note down and see what all the area matches cost this year, just to yeah. kind of see what the what the target is. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't I don't know, but it'd be interesting to see what the average is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you guys, if you guys like budget for what you're what you're doing for matches, but I always kind of figure a a two day match that I am driving to. I just roughly plan on it costing about eight hundred bucks. What's all said and done by the time I drive there, hotels, food, match entry. If I have to fly to it, then it'll probably be like a thousand. If you travel with Jeff, you're gonna you can drop that price a bit. <laughs> just saying. I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna point out I don't stay on the runway yet. I normally I stick with a major hotel chain. It wasn't I mean, we were stuck in it for like we couldn't leave it. It wasn't too bad. It was Yeah, right. when did you guys leave? Did you stay? Yeah, we went ahead and stayed. Yeah, we went ahead, we left uh yeah, Sunday. Yeah, we woke up and left Sunday. So we stayed we stayed that the Saturday he found out he was sick, we went ahead and stayed that night because it is like, well, if I go home, I can't sleep in the house anyway. So it's like, we've already paid for this hotel, so might as well sleep in a bed because I'm going to go home and sleep in a trailer. Uh, so this is this is better. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that kind of, I mean, that gets me excited about Area 3 uh, for next year. The the Minnesota might make it, that, that might be too far a drive for me. That's a long drive from where I'm at. They have airplanes. Yeah, uh, I would not be getting on it. Like with the way COVID is and the way air air travel is right now, I ain't getting it's on it. Fine. An Everybody has to wear a mask. It's fine. Yeah, that that helps a lot when you're on an aluminum tube and you're two feet away from everybody. So, uh, so that's that's. I mean, that gets me excited about future Area Three matches. I hope that gets uh, other people excited about it. I know there's probably some people who. I know. Well, I know that there are lots of people from Area Three that specifically don't shoot Area Three because they were kind of sick of the extracurricular stuff, and so I'm sure they're going to be excited that that they won't have that. Um, there are a I lot really, of people that like that type of match, though. 
They do. That's, and I was actually talking true. to several people. I'm like, so if this doesn't happen next year, there's going to be a hole where people want this type of match. And some match is going to come out and and basically duplicate this style of match at some point. I don't know if that'll happen next year or the year after, but it will happen. I heard Area 1 had your back. Huh? I heard Area 1 had your back. Dude, I heard Area 1 was... <laughs> yeah, so if... Uh, yeah. Area one was like area from the videos I saw. Obviously, we weren't there. Area, I think it was up in Washington this year. Long Washington ways State, yeah. Washington State, yeah. So none of us. That's a long ways for any of us to get to. Um, area one, just from the videos I saw, like they had like a roller coaster, which you were like in like a roller coaster cart, and it like rolled you down, and then gravity rolled you back, and that looked kind of sketchy. But then like they just there was all sorts of stuff at area one. It's like oh. Well, if Area 3 is not crazy next year, Area 1 may take that title. They might, yeah. They So those swingers, I... Did you see the swinger stage, right? No. One I where they had two steel, one. two swingers, and a oh, paper yes. target. Yeah, the swingers, oh, yeah. That, like, bobbed also. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't normal swingers. Yeah, I'm not a super fan of that. Like, it, they don't activate the same. Yeah, I I think those should be illegal. I mean, in my opinion. So what what Matt's talking about? There's basically a swinger that the the target swings like normal, but then it's also on a pendulum. It has so, two pivots on it. Yeah, it it pivots in two different places. And the people that that argue for it that's that say it's the same, they'll say, well, the first two passes are the are consistent every time, but then after that, it's not. It's not the same. Uh, like it's they're different um and to me it it presents such a different challenge for different shooter levels that it really punishes the lower level shooters so much more than the higher level shooters that can shoot two shots in one pass and be fine um so hopefully we won't see that at area three next year i'm mad ordered four of them no i don't plan on using those (laughs) good Good call. I I would love to not see those. This Texas Stars and Polish plate racks. I, there we yeah. go. Those <laughs> you know, are we, my other favorites. We didn't talk about the double swinger with the steel no shoots at Area Three though. I do yeah. triple swinger. I do want to point out like one fact about the stage. One, it was a low hit factor stage, and we were uh, like texting on it before, like we saw uh, Shane's video shooting it. We're all like, I think the plate is just. Three shots on the first pass, three shots on the next pass, and leave. Yeah, that's... Yeah. How relevant that stage was is I won it with a 4.2 hit factor with two mics because that's exactly what I did. First pass, three quick shots. Second pass, three quick shots. Gone. I ended up winning that stage in carry optics by doing that. Did you really? Yeah. I literally, like... As soon as I saw the video, like the Thursday before we're up there, I'm like, well, this is silly. Like, and if you get sucked into it, you're going to take 10 seconds extra of your time, right? Yeah. So you just hold the gun in one spot, shoot three shots, and like let the target move into your shots, right? Yeah. I did that the left side, the right side, and the left side. And I ended up having eight out of the nine hits on the targets. It was, it was quick enough. It wasn't the fastest stage run. You mean five out of six? No, nice. I had eight out of nine. I took nine shots. Oh, you. T- oh, okay. And they were all, and they were, they wouldn't like five of them on one target. No, I had three, two, and three. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, it's totally luck. Like if you hit it or not, right. It's like, mm-hmm. are your splits at an 18 or a 20 or are they 22? Like just depends on 
did you time it perfectly? Like, there's no way, real way to tell. Yeah. The real problem there was, though, is like after a couple of passes, the steel is moving at a different pace than the paper and they start to sync up. And then you end up like you get sucked into burning like eight seconds there and your risk of no shoot penalties goes through the roof. Yeah, no, it was one. So the, obviously Jeff and I weren't shooting. And so we were curious how because Sasquatch and we had talked about it ahead of time. And like he texts us and like, yeah, I shot it in this like 28 seconds, I think, or I can't remember which time it was that like 28 seconds. Right. And I had two mics and we're like, oh, that's, I would be happy with that. Like it was, the- it was a stage that if I had gotten to shoot it would have been, I think the first stage ever. Whereas like if I had mics on it, I would have expected it. And if it was, uh, I just wanted, I only wanted two. like if I could get away with it with two mics, I was going to consider that was ahead of the game at that point. That was the first time ever on a on a sub five hit factor stage that I walked away with two bikes. I'm like, I was good. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is in the in the video on it, like I shoot the two stationary paper before I activate it, and just like I shoot three and shoot three, and just like the confidence it looks like I'm leaving with on the last three, it just looks like it's like yep, hundred percent sure I got six hits there. Perfect <laughs> and, uh, for the Instagram. Somebody like our whole squad shot that way, and somebody saw Corey shoot it. Our friend Corey Carter and this guy was watching and he asked Corey, what target were you aiming at? He's like, what? I was spraying three shots and three shots. <laughs> did, what hits did, what kind of hits did Corey get? Corey is Corey is awesome. I don't know if anybody how many people have met Corey. Corey's awesome. He's a Kansas City guy. He doesn't take the sport too seriously, but he likes to go to like these matches and stuff. He's A class? High B? Yeah, he's no, he's A. He's he's pretty good. He's uh Okay, he's he probably shot like seventy five percent at area three. Okay, yeah. So so okay. So and he probably was truthfully like, no, I was just aiming where the no shoots weren't and pulling the trigger. So how many hits did he get on that? Do y'all remember? I think he had two mics. Oh, that's not bad. So yeah, like that that stage was. uh, I mean, I was kind of embraced. I was going into area three. You just embrace the suck, and so that was. I was actually somewhat looking forward to that stage just because it's like. This could be really bad, so I'll just let it'll just be like if you go and have six mics, which is possible. Uh, yeah, Matt's getting what's what's your dog's name? Shooter, shooter, yeah, yeah, shooter is. I've lo- I've reached his oh, attention span so of big. all the toys that he could play with. Now he's trying to uh get some more attention. Now you're his toy, <laughs> yeah, he wants some more attention at this point. Oh, Corey didn't great. have a good score on that stage, let's just say that. Oh, okay, um. He had four mics. Oh, sorry, on the Corey. swingers. It was four on the swingers too. Oh, okay, but I mean, like, like you guys could have done the exact same thing. Oh yeah, that like tons of people had penalties on that one. Yeah, like that. Like that would have been very easy to go and have four or five mics. Like and just oh, there's almost no way to call it. I was I was a hundred percent sure I had two hits because I knew I hit the first paper each pass. Yeah, no, I had no idea what the next two looked like. Yeah. Yeah, when you're throwing like sub twenty splits at a at a pendulum swinger that's I don't know what 15, 20 yards. I don't know how far was it? Fifteen yards. Fifteen yards away, sure. Fifteen yards. Yeah, you you can't really call that. You're just spraying and praying. And a lot of the I guess a lot of the thing, like it depend on how fast you actually pulled it. Like because it was a hand activating rope mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. And, like some people like pulled it slow and the targets never like broke pace. Like oh, were, really? it was like all the always behind the no shoot. So, 
And, and of course, they were non-disappearing. The outside targets were also non-disappearing because they were flipped upside down, so the heads were always below the pendulum. Yeah, when it stopped, like, three minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the car stage. I need to hear about the car stage. Uh, first of all, my question is that there was supposedly going the night before the match, we were eating dinner, somebody had talked to the RO and there was a position where you could shoot the first target on the right and you could see it through that Subaru, but there was a window that was up. And I was like, uh, can we shoot through these windows? Cause we're shooting through all the other windows that were already broken, but that glass wasn't broken yet. And somebody had spoken to an RO on that stage. And RO said, I won't penalize you if you shoot through the glass. So did anybody shoot through that glass? The glass was still intact when I shot the stage. And that oh. was our, what, like third to last stage? Uh, yeah. Oh, first first stage day two. Yeah, first stage day two it would have been. So oh, we man, had all that, the morning dew on all the, the wood and cars and everything, so. There was also there was also two targets that were, like, could easily be shot well past 180. No, there I was thought, four on that stage, I think. Okay. Which I thought was no longer legal. That was kind of a theme throughout the matches. There were lots of places you could shoot targets behind you that were behind the 180 um also against the rules yeah that's against the rules and troy was there right yes yeah troy was troy was the was the range master for that so that was that was interesting um but if i had gotten to shoot that stage and that glass was there i was 100 percent gonna shoot that target through the glass and i would have eaten the two mics i was gonna shoot like three or four at it just as like how often do you get to shoot through it like an actual like car window well, I didn't do that because I'm shooting nine millimeters, so obviously it just wouldn't have made it through. Yeah, I probably would have come back and hit you in the forehead. But. Yeah, minor it might have bounced back. Yeah. Uh so how did okay, yeah, so that was what did y'all think of the start position on that? So the start position was basically you had to be sitting on this El Camino's hood of the car. So like, you had to be, be sitting on any hood. Oh, it was any hood. Any okay. hood, but your feet had to be totally off the ground. Okay. So, so I what I didn't see an issue with the start position. The kind of the issue I would say was kind of forcing people to get up in the bed and then back out of the bed of the El Camino. It, it kind of creates a pretty risky situation. One of our actual local guys we shoot with, he like blew out his knee. He might have to have knee surgery because he slipped jumping out of the bed. Yeah. Which is just, it, it's dumb. You shouldn't have to risk like, so people were jumping out of the back of the El Camino, but the suspension was given away, right? Mm-hmm. So it would like once they put their weight down on it, the suspension would lower, and like as they were going over the car, the suspension would raise. So like they were getting really close to clipping their feet on it, and I guess he actually did, and so like he fell down like from the bed of the El Camino to on his knee. Oh wow! Holy crap! I wasn't even originally planning to jump out. I was going to go back down the stairs, but it was dewy in the morning. So they were so slick that I just planted an arm on the bed and kind of jumped over the side that way a little bit safer, but it was slower. Yeah, it was like, they could have had it where you shot around cars and everything. Like they didn't have to, like they could have made that stage just fine with not having to get up in the car or start on the cars and the stage would have been fine. Yeah, And it was just like, at that point, it was just normal. Like, they're like, well, what more can we do? Like, shooting through the cars and everything, like, that was fine. Every, like, I, no problem with that. But, like, starting on the car, I think, was a little extra. Getting up into the car and then getting out of the car also was extra. 
I thought the golf cart was fine. I thought like that was pretty interesting way they use that prop. Yeah, yeah. I thought the I thought the targets on the on they used pallets and then they stapled targets down. So the I had a problem with that was because the targets were at such an angle. The way the bullets were entering the target were at such an angle, like it wasn't a perfect circle. It was more like oval. Like no matter up. what. You could call like if you had one hit on it, obviously put an overlay on it, looks like there's four shots in that, right? Because yep. of the way the bullets were going into the target. Yeah, so yeah, I think that caused an issue. And that's a that's a competitive equity thing that would be easily to fix if they had an angled target that was on a target stand. Like yeah, you still yeah. could have hit it with a car. It wouldn't have changed like where you could engage it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean it's it is important when you're setting up a match to do everything you can to have the targets facing where people are most likely going to shoot it from as directly straight on as possible. Because um, yeah, Matt's right. If if you're shooting an angled target like that and you have one hit in it, you call an overlay. How does an RO score that? You're you're outside the overlay. Like there's like it's really that does put a huge stress on your ROs to be able to score it correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was I wanted to shoot the the car stage. Other than the start, the other start was extremely awkward and like it was like as far as how you drew the gun, when you drew the gun, like it looked that looked pretty awkward and then yeah, getting in and how that El Camino. But the rest of the stage looked like it looked like a lot of fun. I would have liked to shoot that. How did uh how did the four mini poppers at like fifty yards go for you guys? I was pretty upset with how I shot them. Oh really? I had one makeup shot on it, yeah. Jeez. Oh, I, I, Poor I, I, I shot I shot all 11 rounds in my gun there and I left one standing <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't see those things it was just like brown poppers on brown background front side covers the whole thing it's just like shot oh like yeah two, shot like so yeah the low the cap plan one, I, get, I think was going. to just go to empty on that then leave like take what you get yep well, like you can't suck up the time of doing a standing load and then still hammering Probably seventy splits down on those steel or worse. Well, what probably. was what was the hit factor on that stage? Uh, I'm not sure. Probably Sub four five? something. I'm sure four something would have won it. Uh, I dropped a bunch of deltas too. I just so I mean a, so a miss had been worth uh, over three seconds. So a standing load probably would have been. So the winning factor in production was three point eight. Oh, single uh, stack was five point oh. Okay, so so in single stack low cap. And that would have been Jacob, uh, I assume. Um, so at that point, at 5-0, miss is worth three seconds. So a standing load is worth it if you could make the load and then make the shot. But obviously, Jared yeah. had proven that three uh, already, three hits out of 11, missed. he couldn't make the shot. I already, I, already missed, I already missed eight of them. I don't think it was worth uh, loading, to, loading to try your luck some more. So looking at that stage is really interesting. Like the limited hit factor, another iron side division, high hit factor 5.3. Yeah. I have factor for open 5.8. We already talked about production revolver. There was no one shooting it. Single stack already. So 6.2 in carry optics. So the dot was a huge advantage on that, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that stage had so much movement. 6.0 in PCC. So carry optics had the highest factor on that stage. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, we forgot to ask Matt: Are we going to have brown poppers at Area Three in the future? Nope. No, they'll be white. Oh, okay, good. 
I think everybody else is happy. I, I'm pretty sure everybody's happy about that. I don't know what started that. Someone was asking me about that, like why that is that way. And I can only think of that they did it one year and they've just continued the tradition from then on, right? I thought the reasoning was um, we shoot brown paper and white paper are no shoots. So we're going to make our steel brown. The steel that we shoot are going to be brown and, and white steel are going to be no shoots. That was my understanding what the reasoning for it okay, was. I could see that reasoning. I mean, it's we run every other match in the whole country all throughout the year with white steel. It is, it's normally not a big problem, but like many boppers at 45 yards were, uh, were definitely a challenge for iron sights. No, because like the burn behind, I mean, there are a lot of the, the berms there are grass, but where it's been shot at a lot is, is, uh, is dirt. And the the brown mini poppers blended in perfectly uh, with the dirt, and so finding any sort of outline uh, was pretty difficult. The front sight's as big as the poppers too, right? Yeah, I mean, I think mini poppers at I think that's we're past uh, mini poppers at that distance. We're past uh, reasonableness for USPSA, in my opinion. Um, big poppers would have been cooler. Like it just would have been a cooler stage with big poppers or even paper in my opinion. But, uh, I know my buddy, my buddy, Bob Crow was shooting limited and he went, he went to like, he drew it and like his like first three shots, he went team, 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 and then miss. And he missed like five rounds on the five or six rounds on the last one. He finally hit it. Uh, and then he was shooting with the Williams sisters and they, one was shooting, I think, limited. I think one was shooting open. I could be wrong on that. But, like, the first one got up there and drew to the first one, hit their first deal, and, like, oh, we need to see a timer on that. And it was, like, 145. And nice. Like, that was with, like, an iron sight gun. And then the, I think the sister that was shooting uh, a dot, she got up and, like, same thing. And they saw it look at the timer. It was, like, a 135 for a shot to a hit. It was, like, holy crap. You put a 15-yard target out there, I'm fine with a 135 draw to it. You, you put a 10-yard mini popper, and I'm not going to be upset with that. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so, I mean, how how are you guys uh, – I mean, Jared, you didn't have your main competition for this match, but you did have some heat. Uh, was it Brian Fabian that I think a second? Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, so, I mean, you were definitely kind of watching scores from day one to day two and looking at that pretty closely. How did, uh, just the mental side of your match go? Uh, good. I mean, I tried to stay pretty positive, even with the dumb stuff. I was certainly, I was, I lost a lot of points on the first day because the memory stage didn't go well and stage one, I lost a bunch of points, but like everything else I shot pretty well. And I, I on the, on the kind of more standard shooting stuff, I was, I was pretty happy with my shooting. Well, that's good. So you feel like you glad you didn't shoot carry optics at this match? Uh carry optics would have definitely been more fun at this match. Uh I, I've got the CO guns out now. I've been dry firing them this week, practice with them on Saturday. Plan to shoot them all month. Awesome. So Hopkins, how was how was just your match in general? So I knew what it was like I knew what to expect going in, so I didn't have a lot of high expectations. Uh, yeah, ended up I think thirteenth in carry optics and third in master class. So I was actually surprised how good I did in master class on that. So I'm I'm actually really relatively happy. Like 
the match isn't suited for me, and I know that going in. So I have I tempered my expectations, and I'm I'm happy yeah. coming out of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, that match isn't necessarily to your to your strengths. Um, it's built for a little fast guy, right? Jacob. It's built for Jacob Hetherington. Like he's built for that match. Jacob or, or like any of the super squad open shooters. Yeah, the guy that won limited, Gianni. He's you know, he's a junior shooter, limited guy that's crazy fast and yeah, little skinny guy that's really good. So limited was crazy. I w- limited was one of the deepest limited fields outside of the nationals I think I've seen. Um, and it was and it was tight and close. Uh, so I would have been, I would have been, uh, I would have liked to have seen it just to like maybe I can not be last GM. Like that's like, that's what I would like. Like I because I mean the. The, yeah, the, those guys shot well, and the, the scores were all pretty close. Um, the crazy thing is, like Shane Coley shot that match and did not have a good match. Like it's like you look at it, and you look at the results, and Shane was in like tenth place, like eighty eight percent or something like that. And it's like okay, that's that's weird. And then he shot area one this last weekend, like a week later, and absolutely crushed it. Uh, like I mean, he won limited and beat a lot of the people that were at this match, like he beat them and, and beat them well. And it's like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you have that much different, but I do think it says something. A lot of people, a lot of people try to uh, look at match results and like, they'll look at, okay, I beat this person at this match, right? I lost to this person. I was within 5% of this person at this match. And then they beat this other good shooter at this other match by 6%. So I'm better than this other shooter at this other match. And man, when you start doing that type of cross pollination, like it's bogus. Like people have good matches, they have bad matches, they have good days, they have bad days. Uh, and so I, I think that's a really, I think, in my opinion, I think doing that you're kind of hurting yourself a little bit. Well, it's, it's also important to remember, like, yeah, a ten percent a ten percent swing is a really big swing, right? And score, fair to say that. But on the same side, like. If there's good people there, if someone that's that's pretty good has a bad match and they're they're you know three or four percent behind like perfect because they made a mistake somewhere that cost them a lot, and and somebody shoots exceptionally well and they 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 you know, they shoot to the best of their abilities and they're two or three percent ahead of where they normally are, well all of a sudden that's a seven percent swing that you normally wouldn't see. Yeah, and yeah, it, for sure. And that it, that happens. You you see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, looking at Area 1 results also, uh, Max Michelle shot it, and it still looks like Max Michelle is the guy to beat in carry optics this year. Just, I mean. Like, he crushed man, it. He freaking crushed that match. Uh, and, in and Christian crushed open. Christian is, I mean, he, he yeah, Christian's just shooting. He's really good. Uh, like, he's just really good. Um, so. All right, I got I got one question. I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna take that long to answer. I got one question, and then we'll be done. Uh, so, question for the podcast: What was the single most important skill that helped you get from mid M level to super squad level? So, I don't. He didn't actually. He just sent it to the podcast as a whole. Um, but how would you guys? How would you guys answer that? Jeff and I already talked about this, but not on. Obviously not on so, here. So I'm going to have probably a little bit different answer than most. And it's actually, it was probably, I don't know, second or third year when I was shooting. 
and it was it was not like a skill per se like you can do this with the gun it was it was when i crossed the level of confidence where like the best guys in my local club at the time it was bob barker he was the he was the guy to beat in limited i was still shooting limited and it was like at a match when i realized that he couldn't do anything with that gun that i also couldn't do so it was when I it was at that point when I knew there was never going to be a target I couldn't shoot, and there wasn't going to be like any activator or something that I also couldn't shoot. And, and so it, for you, it was just a confidence level. It, it was just it was knowing you could hit all that stuff, so you weren't worried about it. Okay, but it was definitely like early on. It was probably like B class or A class then. Okay. So I think uh, it kind of goes in line with that, like. Trusting in the skills that you have that you know you could perform at and like as soon as you trust those and like you can do them subconsciously and like string them together for uh, a multiple day match over multiple stages like that's when that kind of clicks and I think that's when you see it in other people also right yeah I think that's the easiest determination on when they can when you see people move from up to that next level and that's changed over the just while i've been shooting so that skill level like in that progression i think there's a step in between that now right from m2 to competing gm to a super squad level person yeah yeah because let's let's face it even even on the super squads like there are there's different levels like there's guys who are who are good enough to be on the super squad, like they're going to be top 10 in the country. And then there's guys who are actually competing to win. Because if you, to me, competing to win is you're within 5% of the winner. And there's usually, even in the highly contested divisions, there's usually not more than two, three, four, maybe five. Like if there were five within 5%, that would be a lot. That would be a really, really tight race. You just don't see that. Yeah, there's basically, there's there's three levels of guys on the super squad. There's the... There's the guys that are capable of winning that match this year. And that can vary a little bit from year to year. There's normally two or three that are like in contention to win it after the first day. Then there's, you know, that that next few guys that are consistent, you know, top ten finishers. And then there's always going to be a couple of guys who it's, you know, that barely made it on the super squad from the last year or whatever. I mean, that that's that's how it was for me this year being on there. Like I was thirteenth the year before. So somebody didn't shoot and then I got pushed up there. Yeah. Um, so my, my Jeff's and I, when we were first talking about like our initial response to this was just like, man, people want, they want to know the secret sauce so bad. Like, what is the secret skill, the secret sauce? How do I get there? And there is no secret sauce. Like there is no, there is no one skill that you're going to work on as far as, I mean, because he said skill, which I guess you could put mentality in there because both of you basically talked mentality um more than skill like it's not a shooting skill thing you have to be good at all of it like you have to have good recoil control you have to have good trigger control you have to be patient when you need to be patient you got to be fast when you need to be fast um so i don't like i don't think there is a skill um to me like the the thing that the guys who are winning nationals that that they seem to have like the perennial guys like Guys like Ben, guys like even like Christian, guys like JJ, guys like Nils, is their self-awareness is so high 
on their what they're capable of um, and what their skills are that they're able to be like Ben is. I mean, he's he's maybe the best in the history of our sport. Maybe I don't. I mean, I think Rob is probably is a lot like Ben from that. I won't tell Rob I've ever said that he's like Ben. I don't think Rob would necessarily like that. But but uh, but Ben is so self aware, and from my like what I've observed, he's so self aware of what his skills are and what he's good at. Like he's more self aware of his shooting abilities than almost anybody else, and that has allowed him to continue to improve. And get better year after year after year after year, um, and like, like to me, that's the best. You've got to be able to be honest with yourself and do a self assessment and know what you're good at, know what you're weak at, and fix what you're weak at, uh, and then continue to get better at everything else. I, that's probably really not a great answer for the guy, but I, I think it's, I think that's what it is. I think that's what separates him. I don't think you're you're wrong at all. I mean, think how many guys you see that, like. They, you know, they, they're shooting, they get pretty good and then they're kind of there for a year or two. And then all of a sudden it's just like, man, where did this guy come from? I mean, look at Christian, like, I don't, like maybe 2017 nationals or 18 nationals or something. He's, he shot pretty good. He was like made it to the super squad level, but then the next year he was just on a whole new level. Yeah. And he probably didn't get that much better at shooting. But like stuff started falling together because the skills were probably already there the year before. He probably didn't have some like massive like growth in his transitions and his splits and his movement and everything else. It was just he knew what he could do and he was executing at a much higher level all the time. Yeah, and I don't know that's tough to say with Christian because he was so young when he won that he actually could have had a big jump. Like it could have just been a maturation process for him. Like when you're when you're that young and you get that good, like there is there can be big jumps year to year. Um, but to me, the more the more impressive thing was him coming back and winning the second year because then he had the target on his back uh, and he still won. Like he he was able to handle all that um, and he was able to able to still win. And that that and having shot with him at at a nationals now, like it was. I mean, like yeah, the guys. The guy's always asking questions, um, even though he's killing everybody on the squad. Like he's always asking questions, really open. And he's he's honestly looking for for ways to do stuff better. Um, so always be looking for ways to do stuff better, and and know yourself as best you can. Uh, I got one more shout out, and then we're done. Uh, we got a shout out to our boy Craig Tappy uh, for winning open. I yeah. I think it's the first time he's won open at this match. I mean, he's I think he's won. Quite a few level, other level twos. But I think this is the first area match to win. Oh, I think I think out. he's been second there like three times. Yeah, yeah, he's been close. Uh, so good on him. I'm always glad to see him shoot well. Uh, so that's good. You guys got anything else? No, thanks for having me on. Man, yeah, thanks I'm for coming you. on. Uh, short notice, Hoppy. Jeff is he's still in quarantine as of right now, but he should be back, and we will talk. We've we've gotten uh we've gotten lots of opinions on popper calibration, so that should be our next our next uh, podcast is popper calibration. So if anybody listens to this and you want to give your opinion on it, send it to me so that we can have it ahead of time uh, and address it. Thanks for coming, Matt. Thank you. Oh, stop recording, damn it.